Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff, and today I want to talk about lessons I learned from Season 3 of the PGF. Season 3 of the PGF was a huge success. We pretty much quadrupled our viewership. We had more and more people tuning in every single night. The chat and interacting with the fans was a huge, huge blast. And the matches were probably the best we've seen so far. I got to say, the talent that was brought in this season was really high. There was a group of guys that easily um, you know, were vying for first place and easily could have won that tournament. In the end, Elijah Carlton won the regular season, but he was unable to compete in the finale. That left a huge opening. I had no idea who was going to win. Once Elijah dropped out, I really thought every single one of those dudes had a shot. And David Evers had the perfect night. David Evers came out there, and he was on fire. He ended up getting three submissions pretty quickly. His knee bar submission over Gio Gio Ortiz was incredibly impressive, especially considering that, you know, Gio had gone to a draw, uh, not a draw, he had lost by points to Cade Rutolo at the ADCC trials just a couple of months earlier. And so for David Evers to come out there and and tap him relatively quickly in a really vicious manner was uh, very impressive. And that kind of leads me into my first talking point is you just honestly... Do not know how many really, really good grapplers are out there that nobody's ever heard of. Because David Evers is a great example of that. He was a guy coming into this season that was a nobody. He had done maybe a couple of local things. I know he did a super fight somewhere in Alabama. And then he obviously did the PGF qualifier where he ended up getting second to Gio. He ended up losing a decision in the finals of that. But that day he beat a really tough Jonathan Roberts. He heel hooked Jonathan, but Jonathan was coming in with a knee injury, so I wasn't that I, – I knew that, that David was pretty good. I'd rolled with him a couple of times, but I, I still didn't know where to rank him in this upcoming season. We had 24 guys, eight of those being black belts. David's just a purple belt. He has been training for seven or eight years, but, again, I didn't know where to put him. I thought he'd finish – kind of on the edge of the top 10. And I knew he was going to be going for a lot of leg locks, so I actually really didn't think of him as a player to get to the season finale. I thought, again, he'd be in that kind of 9, 10, 11, 12 range, and I figured he would tap a couple of black belts during the season. But again, I didn't expect him to make the the finale. But he did, and he really showcased that he's a guy that if he wanted to, he could be a huge problem on the professional grappling scene. The craziest thing about David Evers is that 170 isn't even his weight. Like his weight class is 155. He walks around just above 160, so the 155 cuts super easy for him. And at 155, this guy's a tank, just an absolute tank. The first night when everybody came in, so all the athletes came in and we did the combine, David Evers just by far blew everyone else out of the water. I mean, if you just look at the guy, he looks like a science experiment. He's probably 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, but his quads and his shoulders and his chest, everything is just that of a 240-pound man. I mean, the dude is seriously just jacked. And watching him, I mean, 
they had one minute. So one of the tests was a one minute push-up test. How many push-ups can you get in a minute? And he knocked out 98, but it looked like he could have gone on to, you know, well over a hundred. I mean, he didn't slow down one time. I, I bet he easily could have done 150 push-ups. And I just, I've never really seen that, um, especially with jujitsu competitors. Most of the time, you know, most jujitsu competitors are pretty, pretty athletic and they're, they're strong, but there's very few just like freakishly strong jujitsu athletes, especially at that 155 pound weight. And he ended up taking a loss. He got choked one time by Dane Leak. And Dane Leak was a, another one of those guys that was kind of highly touted, like Gio, who had a really good ADCC trials run. He won three matches all by submission and lost his fourth. But, um, I mean, Dane hit him with a really slick, he calls it the bolt cutter, which is just his way of uh, describing the reverse triangle. So instead of a regular triangle from the guard, he just locks it up the other way. And that ended up finishing David, but everybody else, man, I mean, he gave everybody else fits. He had a really good match with Elijah that went to a draw. He had another draw with Gio during the regular season. He had a great match against Kevin Buring. Um, but again, in the finale, with, with Elijah not being there, he stepped up and it was just his night. He was almost flawless. And he beat a really, really tough Kevin Buring. He beat, again, Gio Ortiz in a really vicious manner by knee bar. And then in the finals, he went against a very tough Kevin Sherrill out of 10th Planet Atlanta. And he uh, he won that fairly quickly with straight ankle lock from outside Ashi with his feet on the hips. But, again, I, I just want you guys to think about a guy like him, just how many other guys out there you know, are like him. Because David is a... I mean, he works, I think he works for NASA. I think he's a, he's a, like a rocket engineer. Like he works on rockets. Uh, the guy's very, very smart. Like he's not a full-time grappler. He's not a guy that's trying to make his money or make his way through the, the professional grappling scene. He just saw this as a really cool opportunity. He took advantage of it, but he still went to work every single day uh, where most of these guys, other guys were, you know, either full-time competitors or they're trying to fight or, you know, they, they didn't have like the job, like a steady job like uh, David Evers has as a, you know, rocket engineer. And, um, you know, whether or not like we're even talking about full-time jiu-jitsu guys or a guy that has a job like David Evers, I, I just, I wonder how many, you know, just random purple, brown and black belts are out there that can beat top level guys. They're just not competing that much. They don't really care to compete that much. And they, um, you know, just nobody knows, really knows who they are because you hear about it all the time. I hear guys talk about like, oh man, so-and-so at my gym, like there's this brown belt there. He doesn't really compete, but he's just an absolute monster. And John Donahue has, you know, claimed that he has multiple students that never really competed that were just as talented, if not more talented than the original DDS. You know, he's like, hey, I've got students that we're doing and tapping, you know, world-class guys out. You know, we'd get guys that had medal to ADCC and I have students that don't really compete that were like purple or brown belts that tapped them four or five times during a, a six-minute round. And you hear those stories, but it, it's really just remarkable to see it play out in the competition setting. And so I'm really hoping to see more and more uh, you know, tournaments offer guys that, you know, really maybe don't have the biggest name opportunities to come in and make a name for themselves. To me, that's the best part of the PGF 
is it mixes in guys that have, you know, some national level experience. I mean, Elijah Carlton has done incredible nationally, whether it's high rollers or submission underground, or he's just done so many things. And and again, Gio Ortiz, Dane Leak, these guys have done very well at the ADCC trials. And there's a couple of other guys. And every season against had guys like that, but they're being mixed in and they're competing against guys that are unknown. A guy like Noah Randolph, who's a purple belt at our gym, who's just, he trains two, three times a week. He's a senior in high school, and he's getting to mix it up with all of these top-level grapplers. And he had um, a couple of phenomenal matches. He he walked out of the PGF with just, I, I think, tons and tons of confidence. And... I think that's what makes the PGF special. It it really does. I I think too often shows, they try and match the best guys against each other. And oftentimes those matches end up being just really boring. I've seen so many matches of, you know, between guys that were top 10 in the world or they both had meddled at ADCC previously and just the match was terrible. Neither guy opened up and it, it just ended up being a snooze fest. Well, the PGF, it forces competitors to come forward and hunt for the submission with the scoring. And again, it gives the opportunities and multiple opportunities. It's not like, um, so for instance, with David Evers, like if it just came down to, um, you know, who who had the most points uh, or maybe like in his first match, he, what if he would have lost? Or what if he would have got a draw and then he, the, the decision would have gone the other way? We wouldn't have got to see any more of David Evers. But instead, he got 12 guaranteed matches. So you really got to see him kind of work out some of that competition rust. And he started looking better and better each and every day. And then at the end of the week, he got to do a tournament that was two matches of EBIOT, which he submitted both guys in regulation. And then the finals, he it was no time limit, and he ended up getting a fairly quick submission. And I, I really like that. I think sometimes we don't get to see the best of these underdogs because, again, they're coming into these competitions. They, they don't have as much competition experiences as guys like, you know, Gary Tonin or, you know, the guys that are competing every weekend. Keith Krikorian. Keith Krikorian competes all of the time. He's made competition almost second nature. But, you know, you got these guys that, again, very rarely compete. They're coming in with like way more competition nerves and anxiety, and it takes them a little bit longer to get going. And so when they get guaranteed multiple matches, you know, over the course of a week, you're going to get to see what type of grappler they are. You're going to get to really see how good they are. And seeing David Evers, his performance really made me want to see more of him and more of others like him. Kevin Buring was also very, very special. Kevin Buring was a blue belt or is a blue belt out of 10th Planet Atlanta, and he's been training 15 months. And watching him compete was uh, just incredible. If you had told me going in, like after I had watched you know, six or seven of his matches, if you would have told me that he was a purple, brown, or maybe even black belt, I, I, pro- I would have believed you. He looked technically just so far beyond 14 months. It really is just a credit to everything that 10th Planet Atlanta is doing and what Sean Applegate's doing as a coach. But, I mean, it really is remarkable what some of these kids are doing, um, you know, when they get the chance to train full-time. I mean, he is training full-time. So while David Evers isn't, you know, he's just (laughs) – he's a rocket scientist by day and then he loves jujitsu at night – 
he is, uh, Kevin Buring is training twice a day and it really shows and it blows, it kind of blows me away with how much progress he's made. Cause he's not some freak athlete. He's not some super athlete. He definitely doesn't have the body of David Evers, or he's not just, again, some guy that's just naturally gifted. You can tell that with him, you know, it's, he's, you know, probably very fortunate to be intelligent, very intelligent. He's got a great family. I met his dad and his mom and they were, they were awesome, but it really comes down to the hard work and the dedication he's shown. And he's, you know, with the help of his coach, Sean Applegate, I mean, he tapped out a couple of black belts. And he was one of the, the biggest stories of this season. And there was a couple of other blue belts. You know, I think when we look back at season three, that the main people we're going to be talking about are blue and purple belts. And I, and I can't state again enough how much I loved I love that, and I love that storyline for the PGF. To me, it just makes it so much more exciting. Now, talking about Sean Applegate, the importance of coaching is something you guys have heard me talk about a lot, how important it is as a competitor a competitor to have a coach that is in your corner and that is watching you train and, and helping you game plan, game plan for up-and-coming uh, matches. Well, Sean really showed why he is so good at what he's doing and he had three athletes coming into this event of the 24 athletes three of them were his he has elijah carlton who trains underneath him kevin buring and kevin Sherrill. so zero black belts out of that group i mean <laughs> the argument can be made for elijah i mean elijah has been tapping black belts out forever now but kevin buring brand new blue belt only been training like 14, 15 months, and Kevin Sherrill, who's a purple belt. He did wrestle in college, but he's a jiu-jitsu purple belt. Sean picked all three of those athletes as his first three picks. So he had zero black belts on his team. If you weren't familiar with what we did this season with the PGF, we ended up doing a draft. So there were four coaches. Each coach had six players. And Sean Applegate had the first pick. So with his first pick, he took Elijah Carlton, and Elijah ended up being the top point getter. So that was a phenomenal pick. But he went on to follow up those picks with four other incredibly strong ones. He went, again, with his two guys. So he took a purple and blue belt in the net as the next two picks. And a lot of people were kind of quite like they knew he had to do it because those were his students. But a lot of people were kind of thinking like, well, I, I mean – there were black belts still on the board, brown belts still on the board. He could have picked black belts in those spots. He could have picked brown belts in those spots, but instead he picked his guys. And then his next two picks were two guys that he knows very well and that he figured would listen to his style of coaching and, and they'd be open to hearing you know, critiques and, and they would be open to game planning. And he chose them. So he had zero black belts on his team. Every other team had at least two black belts. Um, I think two of the teams actually had three black belts. So on paper, you would think that Sean's team was a huge underdog. But they ended up destroying the other teams total point-wise. All five of Sean's athletes made the finale, which to me, that, that's just remarkable. He had Mario Gayort and Manning Leverett to go with his three students that I've already mentioned. They all made the finale in a season that was so tough with all of these different black belts and, and a lot of other really good and talented blue, purple, and brown belts. 
he had five guys make it. And every single day, his guys would get there a couple of hours early and they would start situational drilling. I would watch them. And Sean would get with them each individually and they would drill things that he figured uh, would be very important for their matches that night. And just seeing the game plan, seeing them get in there and do that, it really just showed me, um, and I saw the results. None of the other teams did that. So none of the other teams really met. And in fairness to them, you know, it wasn't like, uh, like in Sean's situation where he is a professional coach and he had a bunch of his athletes there. Um, you know, most of these guys – uh, or the other three coaches, that's to say, you know, they're not professional like Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches. Uh, I mean, the Elkins kind of are, but they're more wrestling, especially Jake. Like he's more of a, he's a professional wrestling coach. And then we had Drew Weatherhead and Eli Knight, who, again, both instructors and everything, but they're not like professional coaches. But just seeing Sean's guys come in there and, and I mean, it was a huge competitive advantage. And I wonder how many matches were determined and won by Sean and his athletes game planning and working through different scenarios and looking at, you know, some of the tendencies of the opponents that, you know, they're getting ready to face and how you can take advantage of those tendencies and just being around them and kind of watching from afar and then asking them a few questions. It was just so impressive. And it just, again, reiterates to me that, man, the guys that have the full-time coaches or the guys that have a coach like that, I mean, it's just really is a night and day difference. And it can be a big uh, reason why or why not an athlete wins or loses a match. So definitely something to think about, again, if you are an athlete. Another big lesson I learned from the PGF is just it's always about self-improvement. Each season, we've improved. The product has gotten better from the first season where we were doing them every Friday, and we did that over the course of 12 weeks with two of those weeks being off, to season two, which was pre-filmed. I didn't watch the season until I re-watched it and did the commentary for it, to this season, which was live over the course of a week. And each season changes have been made right so from season one to season two there were some rule changes we obviously can change the format to we're going to do a week long and then we're going to pre-record the show we're going to do commentary over top of it we're also going to add the team format to this season honestly the best part of it was probably the the draft watching players get picked and kind of seeing those storylines developed if you know whether a guy thought he was drafted too low or somebody was possibly drafted too high i mean there was definitely some people that feelings were hurt and it was a really interesting way to also pay the grapplers and that brandon was paying them for the regular season so every single one of those guys got paid but they got paid based on where they were picked. So if they were first-round draft picks, they got paid way more than the fifth and sixth-round draft picks. And it just added so much to this season. It made it very, very interesting. And it really, um, I think, lit a fire underneath the competitors, too, to either prove that they were picked in the right spot, and especially the guys that weren't. I mean, they had a huge chip on their shoulder. And you know, obviously everybody comes into a tournament or a show like the PGF and, and they're hoping to win. They're out there to do their best. But I think it also adds an extra something when you're trying to prove something to, you know, somebody else 
particularly somebody that you feel like kind of slighted you. And again, there were there were some people that were kind of pissed of on where they got picked. And and I really like seeing that. I like seeing when people get a, a little, you know, that feeling of disrespect and and they go out and try and prove um, that the person that disrespected them was wrong. But season four, just talking to Brandon and the production team, it, it's going to be even bigger and better. I, I think the lighting situation is going to be something that's a big focus. Just the overall production and the and the product that you guys are viewing from home is, I think, hopefully going to be you know just three, four, five times better. And I think if we can get that, I don't see any reason why the PGF doesn't have a thousand plus people tuning into every stream and maybe even more because this season we had 400 people consistently um, watching the stream every single night. I can't see why we couldn't double that. Season one, it was more like 120 people were watching consistently. This season, as I said, it was 400, and the finale was a huge success. There were so many people watching the pay-per-view. We ended up doing a pay-per-view with the SGC, which is a southeastern grappling promotion that is run by Jamie Houston. But we ended up doing a joint one with them, and again, the, the stream went really well, um, and the pay-per-view numbers were just way more than I expected. I never would have guessed that the pay-per-view numbers for the PGF w- would have been that high. I hope you guys turned into the PGF because we saw a lot of unique techniques. And I think that's always the biggest thing that I'm looking for as a fan is obviously, you know, good matches, but I'm looking for techniques that inspire me and that just excite me. And this season, we saw some craziness. We saw buggy chokes. We saw, uh, you know, Marcus Elkins, the, the youngest of the Elkins brothers. I mean, he hit some gnarly submissions, some submissions that I had never seen before. One in particular, a triangle variation. I mean, I'd never seen anybody finish a triangle like that. But I, uh, I, I think the big thing was that the trend, we saw a lot more leg locks this season way more leg locks than the first two seasons. And I'm wondering if that's because the weight classes are smaller and we just saw a lot more guard work. We saw some wrestling. We saw some people come up from the seated guard into wrestling. We saw Elijah and Gio really have um, some really nice sweeps and takedowns from their butt. We saw... Um, we saw a bunch of, of heavy pressure passing. We saw some really good leg defense. You know, obviously, if everybody's attacking legs, we're going to end up seeing a lot of leg defense uh, or good leg defense. And to me, you know, watching the leg attacks, there's so many times that guys, you know, they just they really struggle to create a bend in the leg and they really struggle to get a hold of a grip to cause breaking damage. And I really feel like that's like the next big thing. Like if you are a leg locker, you need to spend all your time into creating a nice bend where the leg's going to be most vulnerable to break. And then from there, really just mastering gripping mechanics and how to get the grip. I just think so many people struggle struggle to get proper grips on the heel hook. It can be very difficult. The guy's pointing his toes, they're rolling, and they're just they're just kind of spazzing out even, trying to get out, kind of kicking you in the butt, or God forbid the balls, you know, trying to escape your leg lock. But that has to improve. There were just so many guys that attempted leg locks and and lost it due to them not having those skills. 
So if you're going to be a leg locker, please, you know, make sure that you're fine tuning your ability to just grab the heel and your ability to keep a bend in the leg so you can get the maximum braking pressure when you apply the submission that you're hunting. We saw some guys really struggle finishing from the back. Now, we did see, you know, a handful of rear naked chokes, but there definitely was some people that struggled from there and definitely some people that have really, really good defense. And whether that defense was to just stall, kind of stall out from the back and they're just, you know, holding a two-on-one grip on the choking arm so their, their opponent can't force the choke or they were doing a good job moving and escaping the hooks. I think back escapes are probably the best they've ever been. I think so many people, whether it's from training EBS OTs or doing sub only, so many people are escaping the back on a daily basis or practicing their back escapes on a daily basis. But I still haven't really seen a great answer to the body triangle. That is still, I think, a big missing link is how to escape the body triangle effectively and efficiently. I've seen guys like Gordon Ryan show a couple of different techniques on how he likes to break the body triangle. But in all honesty, I've never tried his way and I've never really seen anybody use that in competition. But everything that everybody was using, um, I mean, a lot of guys really, really struggled with that aspect of their defensive jujitsu, just how to, how to, um, you know, uh, escape the hooks. But everybody did a uh, phenomenal job defensively. And there were a lot of guys that took, a, uh, took some really good, like moral victories from just drawing out really good dudes. We saw Gio Ortiz and Dane Leak, uh, even Jonathan Roberts um, go to draws. And I know that some of those guys, like that draw meant the world to them. And it really showcased that, you know, even if they were losing positionally and even if they, you know, ended up in a, a deep sub or two, that their jujitsu, particularly their defensive jujitsu, is up to a very high level where they can defend against high level black belts such as those guys that I mentioned. I think that's uh, I think that's always important, right? Is having and making sure you have confidence in your defense against anyone. That's the that's the first step I, I would tell anybody trying to master jujitsu is like, no, make sure that that your defensive jujitsu is on point. And we saw a lot of really good framework. We saw a lot of guys just doing a great job of recognizing when they were in trouble and weren't in trouble. So those are kind of the main things I learned <laughs> aside from commentary work is very, very difficult. I'm still recovering. I still feel kind of drained from the past week. I mean, I think I did 30 hours of commentary work. I was on the mic, did a couple, some, uh, I did some behind the scenes stuff that you guys didn't see, some voiceover stuff and just creating some content. But I mean, most of it you guys could have seen if you watched all of the PGF. And I'm telling you, at the end of the week, I was just dead. And I mean, I felt like that yesterday and even today that I'm just still recovering from this mental exhaustion. Being able to just focus in on a match and especially if we're talking about a plethora of matches every single night there's 30 and you know you got to pay attention you got to make sure you're doing your best you got people watching you want to you know you just want to do the competitors justice and it, it again it just requires 
the ultimate focus. Like you have to be completely present. Your phone and everything else is like away. All you are doing and all you have eyes for are PGF jiu-jitsu matches. And again, it really wore me out. I was so tired. I, I felt like after a couple of those nights that I had just competed, I was that tired and that drained. And I really envy guys now, or I, I really, I guess, have res- a newfound respect for guys that you know do play by play for the Chicago Cubs, where they're you know watching every single pitch and at bat, and they're you know hosting or announcing on the radio. Like that's crazy. I couldn't imagine doing this as a full time job. I can definitely do you know a week, and, and I'll enjoy it, and I'll, I'll really have a good time with it, but. I can't imagine doing commentary work full-time, at least to that extent. I mean, there were a couple of days that I was doing eight hours of commentary work. You know, we would do a little show beforehand or we'd do something that morning and then we were doing a six-hour stream. It it was just a lot. But I hope you guys enjoyed the PGF. As I said, if you didn't watch it and you want to see some matches, you should go and check out day two. Day two's matches were... I mean, unbelievable. Some of the best jujitsu I've seen, some of the most exciting jujitsu I've ever seen. It's definitely worth going back and watching. It's nice to be back, though. I definitely missed my regular routine. I missed doing podcasts, and I'm happy uh, that I'm back and I'm getting to do one today. Should have a couple of interviews coming up. Sometimes, man, these interviews are just so difficult to coordinate with somebody. I mean, there's so many times I've set interviews. You guys just have no idea how many times I've had interviews. And then, you know, it's day of and a couple hours before and guys cancel. It's so tough to wrangle some of these dudes. But uh, hopefully we get two or three interviews over the course of the next week and a half. I'll keep trying to produce more and more content. I need to do a better job of that this year. Peace.